0: There, there we go. We can recognize that privilege and use it to help. We can speak up. Um, you know, I think one of the, the biggest things, especially for those of us that are white and masculine, uh, that happens is is a lot of even decent men stay silent. when When the subject of race comes up, they're uncomfortable. When the subject of sexism or, you know, women's rights comes up, they're uncomfortable. So it's just easier to stay silent. When the subject of LGBTQ rights come up, you know, a lot of people are silent. And it's time to stop being silent. One, two, three, four.
1: Hello and welcome to Tom Meets Interesting People. This is the podcast where i meet everybody from nuclear engineers to voice actors and talk about their life, their work and what they are passionate about. My guest today is Mac McGregor, who is the co-founder and executive director of Positive Masculinity, which is a nonprofit that works to dismantle toxic masculinity and create a healthier model of masculinity for all people. When he's not doing that, he's also an author uh, and he's the author of Positive Masculinity Now, which is a number one bestseller in five different categories, And that book takes a deep dive into gender expectations, socialization and messaging. And in addition to that, how do you find the time, (laughs) Mac? Uh, He's also held positions on multiple state and city level councils where he develops policies and training around dealing with the transgender community and all around making the world a slightly better place. I think you sound like the perfect guest for this episode. Welcome to the show, Mac.
0: Thank you, Tom. Glad to be with you.
1: Let's kick off with the company that you co-founded. Tell me about Positive Masculinity and how did this company come to be? Well, in the height of the Me Too
0: movement, you know, I was paying attention to all that was going on with that and the, the conversations, um, mainly online, right, that were going on and what women were talking about, the fact that the patriarchy and toxic masculinity had held them back and hurt them. And, and I didn't see many men or masculine people involved in this conversation. hmm And what it dawned on me that the patriarchy and toxic masculinity have hurt all of us, not just women. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they've limited, it's limited many of us, right? So I got this idea that we first need to acknowledge as men and masculine people that this has hurt us too. And then we should be a part of this conversation to create a healthier model going forward for all people. We shouldn't just leave this to women. The burden shouldn't be on them to figure this out, right? We should be involved in this and want to be involved in. Mm-hmm. And so I literally sometimes get a what I call a download from the universe. Some people would call it a vision, whatever, um, where I saw many different types of masculine people, different ages, different ethnic backgrounds, different life experiences coming together Uh, To collaborate on doing this work on dismantling uh, the layers of socialization around masculinity that have held us back and to then work on uh, creating a healthier model. And I called one of my best buddies who was another fellow activist that I had worked with a lot and and good friend. And um, I knew he would understand this work because, um, you know, him and I sharing stories of our lives together as friends. He shared with me how toxic his father was. Yeah. He was a Kinsey scale six gay guy and his dad constantly belittled him and made him feel like he wasn't a man, wasn't man enough. Like he became a state track champion and his father wouldn't even go support him in a track meet because he said it wasn't a tough enough sport. He wanted him to play football and hit people. Yeah. And that just was not who Drew was. So I knew he would get this. So I called him and, and told him about my idea and said, would you do this with me? And he said, hell yes, let's do it. So we started a men's group called it Positive Masculinity Discussion Group. And we started this once a month men's group where we gather and we create a safe container for men to talk about these things in a supportive space, you know, in a safe, supportive space. And the things that we learned from that, we've been doing, I've been doing that now over four years. Drew, unfortunately, um, passed away of cancer uh, a little over a year ago. A year and a half ago now and i'm really sorry he's not here to see the book come out because him and i started that together yeah but yeah. um but i know i'm sure he's looking down and happy that the work is carrying on <laughs> um but yeah we started that men's discussion group and that's how the whole thing started and then we decided it should be a nonprofit. and we wanted to do this work and and get this out into the world that it was important
1: yeah uh, i'm sorry i'm sorry to hear about you uh true it's um yeah, yeah. I think cancer has definitely affected um, a lot of people, myself included. And I can also relate to Drew's story as well, especially with my own father. That I won't go into details here. Um, but it sounds as if, though, this was like a proper grassroots movement. You just started with just one space, getting a group of people together to just talk about what was worrying people.
0: Yes. Yeah. And how we've all individually been hurt. By this binary system and this patriarchy and this, you know, this system that tells you you're only a man if you if you meet these standards, instead of understanding this, that masculinity, like everything else, like sexuality, like, uh, you know, everything is a spectrum. Right. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I teach when I teach about gender is that there's Rocky Balboa, you know, the fighter guy and John Wayne, the tough guy. And then there's Fred Rogers. Those are very different forms of masculinity, but they're all still masculinity. Yeah. (laughs) So there's not just one way to be a man or one way to be a woman, right? Mm -hmm. It's that there are many forms. So I call it, Drew and I decided to call it masculinities. Uh, It's plural instead of one way to do it. And that limiting model that we've been fed, like you're not a man if you ever show emotion. You're not a man if you don't have all the answers. You know, if you aren't a fierce competitor, you're not a man. All of these ridiculous things are hard to live up to. They're just exhausting. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and those things that are said to us when we're growing up, when we're kids, teenagers, whatnot, by our father figures, by other men in our life, uh, and by other women and and mother figures as well, they stick. Yes. Particularly because like our brains are still developing, and they stick. And I'm still remembering things that I've been told. 15 years 20 years on i i know i look young for 30 no i don't <laughs> older <and> the crap <laughs> um <laughs> <You> look
2: great <laughs> thank you thank you <laughs> and there's um, another
0: thing right you're not allowed men aren't allowed to compliment one another yes especially on looks because that's a sign of weakness because we're supposed to always be competitive not collaborative
1: yeah yeah, yeah. And, no, no, exactly. And like some of the best things in the world have come from uh, collaboration. Yeah. And if I can uh, follow your example, I love your glasses, by the way. Thank you. We both have like sort of similar kind of frames. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. good taste, Mac. <laughs> um, so you've already alluded at uh, the answer to this question, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask it straight away anyway. Um, for those who are skeptical, why would we need companies such as Positive Masculinity? Well
0: we need companies we need places safe yeah. spaces for men to gather and do this introspective work this is not easy work because what what I'm asking people to do and what drew and I were asking people to do when we started this was to go back and with an adult conscious mind re-examine our social condition mm-hmm. and peel back the layers of it and and decide what serves us well today because yeah. That was part of what formed us, but a lot of it doesn't serve us well now that we have an adult conscious mind. We can make our own choices and hopefully make healthier choices. Yeah. So that's why. And we teach workshops and we go do we do do this at corporations and faith communities in groups. Um, And, you know, we decided to form a nonprofit because we wanted this work to be accessible to everyone. As yeah. Well. Not just the people that can pay five hundred dollars to come to a workshop or whatever. You know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> something else that comes to mind as well before i talk i want to i want to know how you got into, into activism but, but something else that comes to mind is we're now more connected than ever before through social media uh 15 years ago i wouldn't even fathom of having this conversation with you uh mainly because i was a snotty teenager uh, <laughs> <laughs> but now the written word carries more power than it's ever had in history and i think this is something that's sown in the essay competition that mm. your company is running. So can you give us some more information on that?
0: Well, one of the things that is important to us is to help people understand, you know, there's all this talk about toxic masculinity. And first, let me define that. I see a difference between toxic and traditional masculinity. Yeah. And I talk about this in my book, that there is a difference that I think we need to be careful not to just throw the word toxic around uh, for everything that we don't like. Right. Yeah. Uh, Traditional masculinity, for instance, would be traditional values that you believe and use in your own life, but you don't try to force them on others. Yeah. I think that anything can become toxic when you try to force your belief or thoughts on others.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And then, of course, there are the things that are just absolutely toxic, like rape culture and domestic violence and things like that. Um, But. One of the things we wanted to do is shine the spotlight on the positive as well and let people realize when we turn on the news, almost all we see about masked men is violence and negativity. Yeah. Yeah. So, one of the reasons we are running this essay contest and it's to write about a positive masculine role model in your life and how they've impacted your life is to let people see that there are also good guys in the world with good hearts doing good things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and reframe the focus. because as you know, most of the media attention goes to the bad, goes to the sensational.
3: Yeah. So yeah. We
0: want to hear from people about how the positive masculine has affected them, you know?
1: Yeah. And I believe that competition's open to everybody. Am I right in thinking that? It is open to
0: all genders. Yeah. Uh, and, and it starts at I think 11 years old and up. So you have to be at least 11. We have different age categories for it, of course, and different word counts for the age categories. that the essay has to be. And it actually opens for you to register in October 1st.
1: Yeah, all right, epic. Um, And this podcast is gonna go out not too long before that next week. So it's, uh, yeah, just in time. Look at that, I can actually do something that's competent. (laughs) Um... (laughs) But this essay competition sounds like a great start for somebody who wants to get into activism, who wants to make a change. But how did you get into activism?
0: Well, you know, I was born in the Bible Belt in the United States, um, went to a Southern Baptist high school in college, and uh, most, I've mostly recovered, yeah. <laughs> but at four years old. So I was my, my first test in life uh, when you're born in the hospital and somebody looks at you and they write, I call it the magic letter down on a piece of paper. Yeah. And this magic letter follows you the rest of your life. The first test, I got an F. So (laughs) I was assigned female at birth. Yeah. I had zero exposure to the LGBTQ community in my Southern Baptist world uh, in the South. And, you know, I mean, I was born in the 1960s. So uh, there there was no internet to find community. There was just, it was not like it is today where, you know, you said this amazing technology, we can reach out. And um, talk to people all over the world. Now we couldn't do that then. Yeah. So it was very lonely. And and I knew at four years old that what they were telling me uh, about my gender role didn't fit me. Yeah. So at four years old, I started changing my name to a masculine name playing with other kids. I didn't know what to call it. In yeah. fact, the yeah. word transgender wasn't even wasn't even there yet. Yeah. Uh, and of course, I had never met anybody that was you know, out in, in any way at that time. I just knew that my name didn't fit. what, And, you know, I didn't fit into what they wanted me to be. I didn't fit into put your little dress on and go to church and that kind of thing and act like a lady, whatever that means. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know? So I started changing my name. Well, when you're born with an F, that can be cute for a little while. Uh, they call you a tomboy and that can kind of be cute. And my papa and I, my mom had me at 16. So my grandparents helped raise me. And uh, my grandfather and I had a couple shows we watched every week. And uh, this is going to age me. You may not even have heard of this show. It's called Gunsmoke, unless you saw it on Nick at Night, the (laughs) repeats. It's an old Western. And I dressed up like the sheriff in that Western. I used to have a little sheriff's badge and six shooters and cowboy hat and cowboy boots. And so I told the kids my name was Matt Dillon, which is the name of the sheriff on that show. (laughs) So they thought it was really cute when kids would come knock on the door and ask if Matt Dillon could come out and play. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But then, right, you hit puberty and things, you, you're not supposed to be a tomboy anymore. Things change, right? Yeah. Especially in that environment, in the Bible Belt. And uh, it's, I started martial arts at six years old.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Just a little segue to that story. And by the time I was 17, I won the U.S. fighting title, lightweight fighting title. Epic. And yeah. And I, the world kind of opened up for me to where I was able to travel now and compete on a national and international level where I was able to see more of the world than the little Bible belt. Yeah. And I found out there are more of us out there. There are more LGBTQ plus
3: people. They're everywhere.
0: <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. There's a whole world out here. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that was a great education and also, you know, made me feel better and not alone. Um, But that opportunity to be on the U.S. karate team was a really rare opportunity. And I have worked very hard for it. And one of the things a lot of people don't know is only the top 100 athletes in each sport even get the opportunity to try out for a team like that. Yeah. And that's like, I mean, when you talk about how many people do martial arts in the world and only the top 100 in each, you know, that's that's a rare opportunity. Um, They would have not allowed me to compete had I started medical transition. Yeah. So they didn't know what to do with transgender athletes back then. And they're still trying to figure it out, especially in a contact sport, because all my awards are in fighting. Yeah. Uh, And so I happen to have really good genetics as an athlete. And so I was able to compete uh, on an international level until I was thirty nine. That's when I retired. And at that point, I was competing in the world championships again, another world championships at 39, and I had 18, 19-year-old kids uh, on the team calling me the grandparent of the team because I was the oldest one, male or female, on the team. Yeah. I won two medals in that world championships, and I looked at my watch and said, this is probably a good time as the grandparent to retire on top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did. And that allowed me to start my journey of transition. Now, by this time, I had been a world champion in the martial arts. I had been a keynote speaker all over the place. I had owned my own dojo and taught martial arts, been inducted into the martial arts of Hall of Fame twice. So I had a long history of a career in public speaking. And so when I began medical transition and announced it, people in the community asked me, they said, we need someone with your experience to... explain this trans journey to people in a way maybe they can help have some understanding. Yeah. And so that's where that type of activism started. I started activism as a female athlete for rights for female athletes before that, because we never got the same, uh, anything training facilities, anything that the guys did. So I had already been working on those rights, yeah. but then I transitioned to LGBTQ rights. And now I've trained the U S border patrol, police departments and in how to understand the trans community because when you think of when you think of IDs not matching presentation, a lot of people in law enforcement think someone's trying to fool them. Yeah. They don't understand it's about access. And, you know, it's a privilege to be able to have the access to get all your IDs changed, to have great medical care. Um, you know, and so yeah, it's complicated, but I've been able to train people all over the world and taught now gender, I mean, literally in South from south africa to italy to all over (laughs) yeah yeah so that's what started me on this journey and then you know diving into the socialization around gender i mean that's just a part of the education around us having a better understanding that gender is a spectrum just like sexuality
1: yeah yeah definitely and i think if you look back at history as well you can see that the i think i think it was around victorian times where our culture really went along the lines of um here is the binary there's men there's women this is what we have um uh, right. if you look back even even sort of um pre-victorian times if you look back into the bronze age if you go into ancient greece or ancient egypt you can see that we're, we're catching up with them in a way yeah. in, in our modern society we like to think that we're, we're really really good but yeah we're, we're catching up with them sure. um yeah well, and even the Native
0: American community have have recognized two spirited people as shaman. Yeah. They call two spirited people for a long time because they realize that two spirited people, which is somebody who's experienced all of this gender spectrum, they have a broader view of the world. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I've experienced sexism now from three different sides. It's so interesting. Yeah. Because of course, as a top female athlete and business owner, I experienced sexism.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: And then when I began transition for the first few years, you know, you're in this in-between phase where people don't know where to put you and you experience how uncomfortable that makes people and, and you get a whole different type of you know, reaction. And now on this side, I've experienced a very different and unexpected um, part of sexism that I wish someone would have talked to me about. But very few trans people talk, trans masculine people talk about the things that you have to deal with on this side. Some of them are, are like people would say are privileged. Like if I walk into a restaurant and a woman's been there waiting for a table longer than me, they'll walk up to me right away yeah. and ask if I'm ready to be seated because they look at me as a middle-aged businessman.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Of course, there's some white privilege there too, right? Yeah. But yeah. on the other side of it, when I walk down the street in the evening, this is something nobody wore me at. I've spent my life teaching self-defense for, to protect people. And a woman is walking alone, uh, she crosses the street because she looks at me and doesn't know if she's safe. Yeah. She doesn't know my story, but this is another side of it that you have to deal with as well,
1: yeah. right? <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think, like, I saw a Twitter thread earlier today um, that was um, a man was asking a woman, How can we sort of help? Mm-hmm. Um, because, um, and, and the woman, uh, can't, I, I'm going to have to try and find a Twitter thread now. You know what Twitter's like. It just loses threads. <laughs> um, and she said 99.9% of men are decent, honest, fantastic people. But it's that 0.1% that sort of brings the fear. Mm-hmm. And is, is that something that you've kind of seen or is that something you kind of observed in, in your experience?
0: Well, as someone, like I said, who's taught self-defense all over the world, I mean, I've taught in women's shelters and women's prisons and uh, spent, you know, most of my life teaching uh, people how to be safe and protect themselves. Yeah. Um, the number one predator to women is men. And that's just a fact. Yeah. That is just a fact. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's where we have to, we have to do better and good men need to speak up and, and, yeah. stand up, you know, and I think that's what will make a difference. Mm -hmm. not just sitting in silence but actually speaking up you know if we're secure in who we are lifting women up is not going to hurt it
1: exactly yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) like if one person is lifted up we're all lifted up that's right Um, but as soon as and i'm going to quote captain picard here now because i am a nerd (laughs) and i'm sad and i have no life um actually no i shouldn't put myself down like that that's a whole different discussion but as soon as the rights of one person is squashed that affects all of us irrevocably. I'm we sure. are all completely um, completely affected with that. And I think also as, as, as men and, and as women, uh, we all kind of wear masks in our life, don't we? And <laughs> for me, I, by virtue of my psychology degree, I'm seeing this from the academic perspective. And I sort of like explore schemas and the different roles we play on a social psychology level. But what's your perspective?
0: Well, I call it the man mask, and uh, and there are many of them. Um, like always, uh, a conqueror, mm-hmm. the conqueror mask. Like I'm always in competition um, with everyone because I'm playing the game of king, the game of king of the hill. Remember that game you played as a kid? <laughs> in order to be successful, I have to tear other people down and always yeah. be top right which squashes collaboration like we've mentioned earlier um and i think it's very limiting because for one thing i remember my aunt used to tell me all the time growing up and when i was young i didn't get what she meant she said no one is an island yeah for yeah. one thing you know we all need each other we're pack animals i mean let's just break it down yeah. We're pack animals. yeah and so what that does is it's it's individualism gone rogue right And it also is scarcity mentality because it's telling us there's only so much success. So we have to fight everybody off to get Mm ours. And that's not true either. You know, those are false masks. Right. There's also uh, I think we change masks according to where we are and who we are with what group we're with. Like uh, we may wear one mask at work and one mask at home with our family. And then when we go back to visit our, our parents and extended family, we may put on a whole other mask. right? Yeah. And a different one when we're out with our buddies, you know, so um, yeah, so it's, it's very complicated. There's the intellectual mask where you have to, you know, the know-it-all person, you have to, the smartest guy in the room and you have to make sure and let everyone know that,
3: you know? Yeah. (laughs) That's one of the, I'm good at wearing that one. I'm
0: good at wearing (laughs) that one. (laughs) There's the Don Juan mask, you know, the guy who's like uh, the ladies man, right? Yeah. Uh, basically is, is that kind of, so it's, it's about putting these masks down or being conscious of when we put them on Yeah, and deciding, is that really what, uh, I want to wear? Does that really serve me? Well, it's the, you know, I always have to be strong. The tough guy mask, I always have to be strong. I can never show weakness. Yeah. That's exhausting.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And suicide is, a, the suicide rate for middle-aged men is really high. And I think part of that is because we've been told to hold these masks up. Mm -hmm. our whole lives and so we don't even develop real healthy friendships because that impedes us from sharing our feelings or anything that's really going on with us with our masculine friends right yeah you only talk about work and sports (laughs) that's not real friendship
2: right
1: (laughs) yeah yeah and it's sort of like um you you mentioned the masks there we're all guilty of, of kind of wearing masks and they do have a place i think in society um in particular, I would expect, like, I work in education, so I will take not necessarily a mask, but I will take the, a leadership role. I'll deliberately yeah. step into that social role for the benefit of my students because that benefits them. I have control over my classroom, but at the same time, they get a, a welcoming space. Yeah. But um, I, you're on TikTok. We're both kind of active on TikTok. I'm a little bit more active on my personal page than I am on, on my other pages. I really should fix that and yeah. i i suspect we've both come across andrew tate and he what he talks about yeah. as well in his is um i and i'm not this isn't an endorsement for him because i think actually he's he what he talks about is incredibly toxic and incredibly harmful and is going to hurt a lot of young men because he's incredibly influential on them i'm seeing 13 14 year olds in my day job sort of come through with incredibly toxic viewpoints and as an industry uh, in education we need to we need to fix that um but i think the only thing that he's kind of picked up on that is kind of um what he's doing is he is very much wearing a mask to hide his i'm gonna say fear and his anxiety and his worry and yet if he just said i'm worried about this thing he would have 10 times more respect than he currently has right now it's true yeah
0: i'm i'm I've got it all in control that's another mask i've always got it all in control and that's the kind of thing you're talking about he's like i've you know <laughs> i've got it all together i've got it all in control you know yeah and so I, and I can't admit weakness right in in these always be strong, always have it in control you can't admit weakness and and so to admit a fear uh in that old traditional masculine messaging is to admit
3: weakness yeah
1: yeah and, and a, um that, yeah. But the thing is, um, admitting weakness is where we become ourselves in, in many, many, many ways. And like we both care a lot about mental health, I think. Yeah. And I think one message we both want to get out there and now, I'm putting words in your mouth, uh, is that it's not a weakness to ask for help if it you isn't. need it.
0: That's right. It's so important for us to uh, like, again, like I said earlier, we're pack animals we are to rely on one another. That's the way we're made. That's the, in our yeah. very DNA. So um, we're, we're made to live in community. And that means taking care of one another and taking care of our communities together. And that's one of the things that really, I think this individualistic mentality, we've been told that capitalism supports that a lot, right? Yeah. Um, that takes away from people understanding what community is and what it, yeah. Unfortunately, I think we've gotten really far away from that, especially in Western culture. Uh, I've had the privilege, like I said, of traveling the world, and some other cultures get it. I've been to Haiti eight times on medical missions trips. And one of the most impactful things that ever happened to me, I was in my 20s and I was in Haiti. And one of our interpreters said to me, Mac, in America, time is money. Yeah. And in Haiti, time is relationships. And he explained it this way He said, In America, if you're on the way to work to make money, and you see your neighbor broken down on the side of the road, you don't stop to help because you've got to go make, make money. Yeah. In Haiti, in Haiti we stop and take care of each other. That's our most important priority or we wouldn't survive.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: it's just, and I, that just hit me like a ton of bricks. I've never yeah. forgot. And I said, I don't want to be that kind of person, even though I live in America, that's not what I want to be. Yeah. I want to be the person who helps my neighbors, who helps my community. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I'm noticing that shift as well in our, in our culture. And I think it started, I, I, I'm going to claim it started with the millennials, but really it's properly started with Gen, e, Gen Z um, or Gen Z um, uh, for our American audiences. <laughs>
2: um,
1: and we are starting to, I hope, as a society, move away from time is money and mm. take uh, Haiti's example here and take what they are trying to teach us um which is that we we should be caring for each other we should be working together and cooperating
0: you know i think that's one of the silver linings maybe um from the pandemic right
1: yeah it's, is that it's
0: helped a lot of people reprioritize what's what what they want uh in their life right yeah. and what they what they want to be most important and that working for some company making a few extra dollars if it takes away time from the people they love and what they love to do um, isn't isn't you know valued as much anymore by a lot of people right yeah yeah that few extra dollars doesn't make up for because when you're on your deathbed you're not going to say god i wish i'd have made that extra hundred bucks you're going to say i wish i'd have spent more time with the people i care about right or doing what exactly. I love. Yeah.
1: yeah yeah exactly um you've also talked about um actually we, we just just in this episode we talked about traditional and toxic masculinity Now, I've ended up putting them um, before this. I put them kind of in the same umbrella. Mm -hmm. Um, But can you just reiterate for us the difference between the two? Sure. So traditional
0: values, uh, for instance, I'll use my grandfather as an example. He was such a wonderful mentor to me in many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he was he taught me how to love the land, how to build a garden, how to fish. Um, He he taught me how to talk to anyone from the president of a company to a homeless person. He was just that kind of a guy. Um, he, he was just funny. He taught me all kinds of life lessons. So when we would go fishing, you know, he'd teach me about life lessons. Yeah. And uh, But he had some traditional values, like he gave my grandmother an allowance each week to shop because she was a stay-at-home, you know, housewife. Um, now that is what I would call traditional values, right? Yeah. It's not toxic to the world out there, right because he wasn't he do, he didn't insist that his friends do the same thing or tell everybody in the world that they should be doing the same thing that's just the way he you know lived his life and at that time no one was having these type of conversations with him mm-hmm. about equity and women you know and all of that you know he didn't so so um that's what I would call traditional now it can become toxic again if he tried to force that on other people yeah right but over here definite toxic masculinity is constantly putting women down Hmm. constantly um feeling like women lgbtq people are less than and and not including them Mm -hmm. you know in things because you don't feel like they are worthy of it people of color as well it you know the patriarchy and toxic masculinity is a very um it's also very steeped in racism Mm -hmm. because it's about the men in control right which if traditionally been the the older white guys with money right so that's the 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 difference is one is like a traditional value that somebody just lives in themselves and the other is something where you try to force it on people and cause harm to people Mm -hmm.
1: yeah um i'm trying to think of a phrase now uh it will come to me when i'm editing and i'll probably edit in or something um but yeah, it, it, it's kind of like let others live how they wish to, be, uh, how they wish to live. And right. mind your own business, um, perhaps. I mean, maybe, maybe we'd be better as a society if everyone just mind their own business. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah a just a little way. bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it sounds so aggressive, but at the same time, it's like that might bring peace a little bit, some, some degree of peace. Well, you know, I think that boils down to not being,
0: uh, I think it boils down to what you spoke about earlier. It comes back down to fear, for one thing. Yeah. And not being afraid of someone who's different than you. Yeah. You know, uh, we don't have to armor up because someone is different. In fact, how boring would it be if we were all the same? I mean, I love that I have such a wonderful, diverse group of friends uh you know it rich it enriches my world actually to get those different perspectives and views um you know and and i think people just need to let go of the fear of somebody being a little different that's not a threat and they're not trying to force yeah. you. like i'm not trying to force everybody to be trans yeah. <laughs> or, or or queer or you know like yeah i mean live your life i want you to be happy because that's actually what will be better for our communities mm-hmm. if 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 everyone thrives our communities will be healthy
1: yeah Definitely. And also, when you were talking a few minutes ago about equity, I don't know if you saw my face just light up.
2: Because <laughs> that's <laughs> something
1: I, I genuinely care about because equality is great, but we need equity as well because not everybody needs the same resources and the same Lego. Like, For instance, I am um, a white man um, and I know that I can get into the rooms where decisions are made. I know that I could do that. But I also know some of my friends in, uh, let's say, the research group I was in in in, in my university, um, they because they are black women, it'd be very difficult for them to get through without me helping them to kick the door down. So I don't need the extra support in that. Mm-hmm. But they need to have me use my equity to bash that door down. Yes. And uh, yeah, do you want do you want to add anything to that that sort of statement?
0: Well, it's about understanding our privilege. And you just yeah, I mean, you just gave a, a beautiful example. You know, even though I'm a transgender man, which is which being trans is in a you know a, a pretty <laughs> a pretty extreme minority group, right? Yeah. Um, there are definitely a lot of obstacles around that but I have white privilege. And before I transitioned, I had a good education and an established career Mm -hmm. that gives me a lot of privilege. Yeah. You know, even within the trans community. And I realized that, and if you try, if you understand your privilege, then you can understand how to use it to help others. But first you have to admit that you have it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And like, I've definitely benefited from having a lot of shortcuts just as a white guy, just Mm -hmm. to be able to um, just get, Kind of what I need to get, um, which kind of brings me on to the last question. We've already started um, asking this before we talk about your book. Um, how can we be better allies to everyone around us?
0: Well, there, there we go. We can recognize that privilege and use it to help. We can speak up. Um, you know, I think one of the the biggest things, especially for those of us that are white and masculine, uh, that happens is is a lot of even decent men stay silent when, when the subject of race comes up, they're uncomfortable when the subject of sexism or, you know, women's rights comes up, they're uncomfortable. So it's just easier to stay silent when the subject of LGBTQ rights come up, you know, a lot of people are silent and it's time to stop being silent. I think, yeah. you know, it's time for good people to stand up and, and make some statements about it, especially when they hear a conversation going on. You know, one of the things I work with in our group, the guys in our group, is there are ways to speak to someone who has made an off-color comment about something Yeah. without starting a fight. Yeah. And this is something important to talk about in the masculine world, right? Because if you confront a guy, I mean, guys can get really sometimes, yeah. you know, <laughs> especially if they've had a couple of beers, right? Or something, <laughs> Yeah. right? And so it's how you do it. Um it's the art of Aikido, I would say, which is redirecting. Yeah. Um, so you know, I always suggest tell tell guys bring the guy aside instead of helping making him lose face in front of everyone the first time. I think it's really important to and the guy will actually see then that you're trying to help him and not yeah. throw him, you know, throw him under the bus in front of everybody, right? Yeah. So if you take, you know, your the guy you work with or whatever aside and say, Hey, you know, I just think that comment you made about women was was not acceptable. Don't you have women that you love in your life? I sure do. Mm-hmm. You know, use yourself as an example and we need to be supportive. Yeah. You know, um that kind of a thing and just try that avenue, you know. And and I think if more good men spoke up, things would change.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think also in like sort of um I'm trying to think of a sociological phrase for this in kind of like the masculine world Respect means a lot and that example you give there, taking them to one side so they don't lose face, that is an uh, kind of an act of respect. Mm-hmm. And I think also from what I've observed just going through my my life and trying to hide away from everybody, um uh, <laughs> is that um most people when they are saying kind of somewhat hateful things, I'm I'm gonna argue that the majority of them don't know any better. And um a I think we could sometimes be described as left-wing wokists and whatever other phrases that are thrown at us, kind of like out of fear, out of ignorance, but not everybody has had access to the same resources that you and me have had access to. Uh, not everybody's had the chance to get a degree and make those networking opportunities. Not everybody's had your um, your chance to be able to spread out into the world to create your your company. So I think when people are saying kind of hateful things, it's kind of worth also giving them a benefit of the doubt is the wrong word, but just realizing they might just not know yet. And that's That's the important word I want to emphasize. They might not know yet.
0: Yeah, that's true. You know, I've been in a lot of situations. (laughs) I did. I did something a few years back. I ran for office here in Seattle. And I was the first transgender person to ever make it onto a ballot in Washington state. And I got some death threats and some hate, even in liberal Seattle. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But, uh, you know, there there were many people who had never knowingly, I always say, met a transgender person in person. Yeah. And so they had all these ideals in their head about the trans community and what a trans person was like. Mm -hmm. So when I would go speak to groups, I had so many people like walk up to me and shake my hand and go, wow. You know, you're really uh you you're a nice guy. Like they're shocked that a trans guy could be a nice guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because their limited perspective, you know, they'd only heard stuff about trans people on the news or whatever, you know. Yeah. So it is like about like you say exposure. Right? Not yeah. everybody has the same exposure. Yeah. And I try all the time, you know, to up that. I think it's so important. That's one of the things I try to do as a trans activist is really, you know, help people understand that we're human too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we, uh, you know, we want the same things out of life that most everybody else does. And you're right. It, it is about a person's per- perspective and exposure. Mm-hmm. And I try to give people a lot of grace as an activist. Yeah. And, and gently guide them into hopefully opening their heart and mind a little bit to create more understanding.
1: Yeah. And when you meet people halfway, yeah. that goes a long way way and so much more than just sort of saying if you don't believe in my cause you're a bad person which is what i have seen other activists do but i'm so glad you don't do that um which is i don't think that
0: gets us to i don't think that gets us to the goal our goal is to create more understanding right our goal is to get more support and create understanding in any marginalized community Mm -hmm. so screaming at people and telling them you're an idiot or screw off or you know because you don't agree with me. That doesn't, it's, it doesn't yeah. get us toward the goal at all.
1: Yeah. And yeah, dialogue, dialogue fixes. I'd say dialogue fixes a lot of things, I think. Um, now, of course, I also want to um, highlight your book as well. Um, Positive Masculinity Now. Would you um,
2: really? finally get round to introducing <laughs> it uh,
1: nearly an hour later? But
0: <laughs> uh, give us the rundown. Well, um you know, this book is, is actually for everyone uh, since even though it has the title masculinity in it, it's about our socialization and conditioning around gender yeah. um, and gender expectations. And it's about each chapter has work, a worksheet stuff in the back of it to help you walk through your own socialization and realize, um, you know, and, and rethink the things, the people that were modeling you how to be a man or how to be a woman. Uh, It's just it just really hopefully helps people rethink um, and reexamine what they've been taught that all those all that socialization and conditioning helps create your belief system, helps create how you walk in the world, how you treat other people and even how you judge yourself and limit yourself. So um, that's what this book is about. It is um, it's it's just it's revolutionary work, in my opinion, that can just really free people. Um, Because when they realize that so much of what we were taught is, um, well, we don't we don't have to carry it on. Right. We can make healthier choices. Yeah. That we can be more free. I mean, you know, a lot of things like just, for instance, the gender expectations, I'll tell I'll tell a story. One of my black belts, she's a she's a fantastic martial artist. When she was growing up as a as a young person, as a kid, she wanted to take a martial arts class. And her parents told her that's not for girls. Yeah. Um, she's in her 50s now. So, you, you know, so this we're talking, you know, a while back, but um, she so they wouldn't allow her to take class. Now, when she went away to college, her college offered the martial arts class that she signed up for. And if she had listened to that social conditioning from her parents, she would have never tried the martial arts, right? She would have just accepted that message. Martial arts isn't for girls, so I can't do this. She is an amazing martial artist and and martial arts teacher now, but would have never known that if she'd have listened to that limiting message and I think when we all go back and reexamine, we've all had messages around our gender socialization that have limited us in some
3: way, yeah, you know
0: guys have been told certain things that activities, hobbies, jobs aren't for guys, right yeah Two, again, I mean there's so many ways that these messages have limited us, yeah, so. You know, that's what this book is about, getting you to go back and and really examine it and come to a healthier place.
1: Yeah. And we can find this book on where can we find it? Amazon. Lovely. We yes. all love our Amazon, find don't it.
0: we?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I say that with sarcasm. Um, well, yeah, it's
0: kind of hard in the publishing world not to use Amazon now. Yeah. <laughs> it's <to> lie.
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So uh, your book, Positive Masculinity now is available on Amazon. Now, before we go to our questionnaire, uh, where could people find you online? What's your social media?
0: Yeah, positivemasculinitynow.org is our website. And that's where you can sign up for the essay contest. You can read our blogs. We have great blogs on there that we release every week. Um, And even if you want to submit a blog, we have a way to submit a blog on there if you're interested in writing from us for us because we enjoy other perspectives. Mm hmm. Um, it's also where you can find out about our, our monthly discussion group that is virtual. People can join from anywhere and uh, our workshops. Uh, we're also Positive Masculinity now on TikTok and Instagram. And uh, of course, we have a Facebook page for Positive Masculinity. So, yeah.
1: Perfect. I'll make sure <laughs> yeah, to tag you all... as well in our posts. So I'll make sure <laughs> to tag you on there. All right. So, uh, I end every interview with the questionnaire. Uh, these yeah. questions come from the Prost questionnaire and were later adapted by Bernard P. and then later by my hero, James Lipton. Uh, and now I present my positive masculinity adaptation to you. All right. What is your favorite word? Curiosity. What is your least favorite word? Not possible. Because I two words. <laughs> impossible? impossible. Impossible. There yeah, you go. That Be fits. Impossible. That fits. Um, yeah. What having- in? so you're saying still having coffee <laughs> yeah <fair laughs> dudes. yeah i need coffee too uh like i know it's like the time difference is mad, but like i still need coffee <laughs> what engages you
0: a great intellectual conversation and people who want to make a difference in the world what
1: disengages you
0: people who are armored up
1: yeah closed down almost wearing those masks mm-hmm. to yeah. think back uh, see i do listen um <laughs> <laughs> what sound uh, what sound
0: or noise do you love oh the sound of of like a stream water mm. and the waves too yeah
1: what sound or noise do you hate oh nails on a chalkboard ah yeah. <laughs> yeah. ow oh my god i'm saying so that this is that's the only good thing about phasing chalkboards out if we <laughs> yes. don't get that noise anymore yeah. Um, honestly, I kind of want one for my wall now because there's uh, <laughs> like something like really cool about one. um What everyone's favorite question? What is your favorite curse word? <laughs> Fuck. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. How many ways can I work it in a sentence?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's everyone's. Like, I think that's the most popular answer, and I suspect it's going to be the most popular answer this whole season. Um, what profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt?
0: Oh, I've always wanted to like be a a dolphin trainer. Or I love I swam with the dolphins before. I think it's just
1: fascinating. Yeah. What profession would you not like to do? Uh, be a full time therapist. Hmm. Just call me out with my psychology degree here. <laughs> I'm sorry. <I've>
0: been <laughs> listening to people, especially in a, in a yeah. world like America where people, yeah, it's just. Yeah. Like,
1: no, honestly, I, I joke, no, um, I joke because i got friends who did psychology and counseling, I did straight psychology, and it is a whole different skill set that's required to, and it takes a specific kind of person to be a counselor, but we need more counselors, oh, yeah, we need yeah. more mental health professionals so much.
2: Yeah.
1: Final question, if you could say only one statement to any one person, what would that statement be, and who would that person be?
0: I think it would be to my grandfather, my papa. And I would just thank him for being such a great role model.
1: Yeah. Epic. All right. Uh, remind us again, where can we find you online and where can we buy your book? You
0: buy the book Positive Masculinity Now on Amazon in Kindle or print. And in the uh, later this year, I'm going into the studio to do the audio version as well. Um, and you can find us at positivemasculinitynow.org.
1: Epic. And of course you can find um, by yourself. I've just interrupted. Um, Instagram and TikTok at Positive Masculinity Now. And you can also find this show as well um, wherever you get your podcasts from. Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. I think I found we're on Podbean now as well because uh, this looks really good. Um, <laughs> uh, we're also on TikTok uh, at Meet Interesting People. Instagram, uh, Tom underscore Meets underscore Interesting underscore People. And on Twitter, where we're most active, uh, that's at Tom Meets People. Mac, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it because I know you're super, super busy, so I really, really appreciate this. Thanks, Tom. It's been a pleasure. You have just listened to an episode of Tom Meets Interesting People. If you'd enjoyed the show and would like to take part, or you know somebody who would make a great guest, please email me at Tom Interesting People at gmail.com and I'll get back to you. As soon as I can. Guests may provide audio content that helps to demonstrate their work. Guests have given permission for this work to be played through the use of a release form that they have signed. It is the understanding of this podcast that the material that they provide does not infringe on the copyright of others. All other rights reserved. Copyright 2022.